Good morning. Switch that on and I can actually hear myself. There we go. Uh, well, I hope you uh, have had a good week. Uh, we're going to continue our ser uh, series during First John this morning. Um, before we begin, I just want to keep you updated of a couple of things. Obviously, uh, there was a hurricane this last week that hit the state of Texas. I uh, just want to keep you informed of the Salvation Army's response. Uh, we've got our own like helpline set up. Uh, it is helpsalvationarmy.org, uh, and 100% of all those funds that we raise goes directly to victims uh, of the hurricane. The Salvation Army has deployed officers from every territory uh, in the United States, including some actually from our division. One of my personal friends uh, just got sent this yesterday or the day before down to Texas to help with the flooding there. Um, we've got uh, mobile canteens on the ground, mobile feeding stations on the ground. Uh, we're running shelters on the ground. Uh, and the Salvation Army is committed to be there for the next two or three years during the cleanup. Uh, so just so you know... Um, that that is happening and part of our Salvation Army family is there uh, trying to help those affected. So uh, in your prayers, if you could keep those, not only the victims in mind, but also the first responders and those who are trying to care for people uh, as well. There's some pretty horrific things uh, coming out of the state today. So with that being said, we're going to jump into First uh, John. Uh, we're going to look just briefly at what we learned last week, just to catch you up, because I know you, you forget. Um, and what we talked about last week is the fact that Jesus and sin are polar opposites. That really, when you look at it, the nature of sin and the nature of Jesus, they can't coexist together, and they are at loggerheads. They are at opposites uh, with each other. And so John, throughout this book, and he'll continue on through all of his writings, will continue to say statements like, you can't love Jesus and hate people. Uh, he'll actually say that in today's sermon uh, a little bit later on. He said it last week, he said it the week before, and the week before that, you can't be in a state of sin and still love Jesus, because this idea of Jesus and sin are polar opposites. Uh, so with that being said, that was really what we covered at length last week. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter uh, 3. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 11. It's on page 1022 of your core Bible. Again, if you don't have a core Bible, I can't help you. Uh, I don't know where it is in yours. Uh, and so we're just going to start with 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. And here's what God's Word says. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Uh, ironically, uh, he means from the beginning of time, he means from when God first created the world, but for us it's a little bit ironic because the book of 1 John has been about one thing, right? Like, let's be honest, for the last eight weeks, all I've talked about is love, right? I'm getting a little too hippie even in myself, it's freaking me out just a little bit. Um, but, but, but all of John has been about love, it's been love, 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 love God, love others, love God, love others. Spoiler alert, he's not going to stop that, right? Uh, uh, through the end of 1 John into 2 and 3 John, he's going to be proclaiming this message of love. So this is just a little bit ironic for us, but this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love God and love others. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? 
because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a little bit of a look. I know we're in First John, but we're going to take a little bit of a look at the story of Cain and Abel. We're going to talk just a little bit about that. And while we're talking about Cain and Abel, I want you to understand there's really two issues, two things that are happening in this story. The first is that of escalating sin. Uh, I want you to understand that sin escalates. Sin doesn't naturally lie by itself, in itself, and be happy and content not to move and not to grow. Sin escalates naturally. And the second thing I want you to be aware of in this story is the thin end of the wedge. I'm not sure how many of you know this expression. This was something that I got growing up a lot, uh, is when I would do something wrong, my dad would say something along the lines of, well, this is just the thin end of the wedge. Uh, first you start listening to that rock and roll, and the next thing you know, you're going to be doing drugs and doing weird things. Um, it's the thin end of the wedge. Now, that's not a story about rock and roll, that's a story about my dad. Um, whom I love. All right. Uh, but but the, uh, when, when reading the story, and we, we are going to read the story, so if you would like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, uh, give you a hint, it's right at the very top of your Bibles. Uh, if you open the Bible, you go chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, you're there. Uh, we're actually going to read through the story, but I want you to keep these two things in mind. I want you to keep in mind that sin escalates and that uh, also sin presents itself usually as the thin end of the wedge. Uh, no one doesn't start out being as bad as you could possibly go. Uh, sin starts very smallly and starts uh, creeping and escalating uh, itself. So the thin end of the wedge. So here we go. Uh, we're going to start in verse 3. So this is Genesis uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 3. This is what God's word says. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And in this verse, I want to point out that Cain started out well. All right, I know uh, if you know the end of the story, if you know how this story ends, you know that Cain ends up being the bad guy. But what you need to know is that Cain actually started out well making an offering to the Lord. He didn't start with murder. Remember how I said that sin escalates. Sin uh, is the thin end of the wedge. It doesn't st he didn't start with murder. He started in a good place. He started out making an offering to the Lord. In verse 4, it says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and then the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And so Cain uh, started out well by bringing his offering, but so did Abel. But there was a difference between their offerings. Cain was offering fruit where Abel was offering first fruit. And there's a difference. Uh, a lot of people will look at this and say, well, God had more regard for the fact that Abel sacrificed a living creature, and I don't think that's what it's about. I think this story uh, is important because of the words first fruit. Cain brought leftovers. He uh, gathered in his harvest, set aside stores for him and his family, and uh, what you would consider to be a really good thing. He was providing for his family, he was doing this, and then what was left over he offered to God. Abel instead, when he had a lamb being born, he offered the lamb as the first fruit. He said, I'm not going to set things aside, I'm going to trust in God that God's going to provide. And so he offered uh, the first fruit of his flock, 
rather than just offering leftovers. And so again, as we say often here, what God is doing is he's judging a person's heart. He's not judging actions right now. He's judging the condition of our hearts. Uh, he wants to know why you're doing an action. Like, what, what's, the, what's the motivation behind it? Uh, Jesus talks about this when you get into the New Testament. He goes to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees loved to be seen in the synagogues. They loved having wordy prayers. They loved having their offerings seen by everyone. And over and over and over again, Jesus said, theirs is not going to be blessed by God, but the person over here who has a contrite heart, who has a... Uh, uh, repentant heart, those who are giving to God not because they want something in return, but because they know it's the right thing to do. The widow's mite who gave the very last that she could possibly have in a secretive way was better and more blessed by God than the Pharisee who was able to put in the huge tithing check and made sure that everyone waved around so everyone could see it. There's this difference, and the difference is the motivation or the condition of the heart. Cain brought fruit, Abel brought first fruit. And God saw that the first fruit and he blessed it. In fact, if we continue on, uh, it'll say this, for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Uh, remembering in the last verse, it said that he had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The thin end of the wedge. It didn't start with murder. It started by not trusting in God. And then it escalated because sin escalates to anger. Keep that in mind. Keep that in track. Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Which I know I've covered before, but I, I really want to cover again. Uh, God knows everything. Uh, so when God asks a question, he's not waiting for the answer. He's waiting for our response. There's a little bit of a difference there. He's not looking for information. He's again inquiring after the condition of your heart. He's giving you the opportunity to respond to him in the right way. Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain had ample time and warning to avoid sin. He had the time and he literally had God telegraphing to him saying, hey, you don't need to sin. You just need, you need to conquer it. You need to watch your heart. You need to watch your actions. You need to not get upset over this. You have the responsibility over the sin in your life. Too many people say to sin and do things like, well, I'm just a sinful creature, so I'm going to be doing this anyway, so I may as well enjoy it. No, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to conquer the sin in your life. And God literally tells Cain here that sin is crouching at the door, sin is contrary to your nature, and you can overcome it if you are careful, if you are observant. I, do you know what I would give for the presence of God to literally show up like for God to show up behind me and say, hey, Jonathan, don't do that. Like, 
I would settle for an angel. Like we've had this discussion before, if a flaming angel actually showed up, I probably wouldn't react well. Uh, but I feel like I would, you know, after a little bit of getting used to it, I, if the flaming angel appeared and was like, hey, God doesn't want you to do that, hallelujah. Like I, I am a sinful person. I sin occasionally. I try very hard not to. I try very hard not to lose my temper, not to get angry at people, not to think people are stupid or dumb in my head. I try to do all of that. We, we've had this discussion before. I'm an honest person. I hope you're honest with me. Uh, but, but to have a flaming angel standing next to you and, like, tap you on the shoulder and be like, ah, uh-uh. like, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Amen. Like, it would take all of the mystery out of it, and it would be great. I would know whether or not what I was doing was good or bad. I'd just look over and be like, hey, angel, we good? We good. All right, we continue on, right? This would be great. Cain literally had the presence of God with him, talking to him, saying, don't do this. Spoiler alert. (laughs) He did it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. It started with the condition of the heart not being good, but being selfish. It elevated then into jealousy and anger, and then it escalated into murder. Sin doesn't start with murder. It starts very small, and it creeps up on you. This is why it's so important to talk about sin in the church. This is why it's important to call people to repentance. Because sin doesn't, you don't start out saying, hey, you know what, today I'm going to uh, rob a bank, kill everyone in there, and uh, just go on my way. That's not how sin starts. It doesn't start like that. It starts small. It starts uh, innocently. Well, maybe I just deserve this. Things aren't going well for me. Maybe I should just engage in this behavior just this once because I just need it to go right for me just this once. And it escalates and it continues to escalate and it grows to the point where Cain takes his brother out into the field and says, hey, let's go for a walk. Now, I could do a 20-minute sermon on the fact that this is a, a very good reason not to go out into nature, that we should all just stay inside and play our Xboxes. Uh, I won't, but here it is right here. Don't go outside. Don't go into fields. Things can happen badly to you. Paul got shipwrecked twice. I'm just saying nature doesn't really agree with God's children. Anyway, I'm going off. Um, I've had about a half a cup of coffee today, so this is, anything's going to happen here. Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Sin entered and escalated. So verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? Again, does God not know the answer? Of course he does. Right here, he is giving Cain an opportunity to repent. As much as it bugs us to believe it, I believe that if Cain here had repented, God would have forgiven him of his sins. I don't know if there would still be consequences for his sins, but I fully believe that he was giving Cain the opportunity for repentance. Can you imagine how the story would have been different if Cain had said, I broke your commandments. 
I did wrong. I messed up. God, will you forgive me? Scripture tells us that our God is quick to forgive sin. God asked Cain the question, giving him an opportunity to repent. Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, Cain replied, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? Not part of my sermon, but just a little sidetrack. The answer to this question is yes. If you read the rest of scripture, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. You are your brethren's keeper. Whatever word you want to use, look to your left, look to your right, you are their keeper. It is part of your responsibility as as children of God and members of the family of God to help each other in life. In our spiritual life, in our physical life, in our mental lives, it is your responsibility as the children of God to look around at the other children of God in this place and outside of these walls and to help them. Am I my brother's keeper? Which, personally, I think, if I had been God, and we all agree, I would make a very terrible God, right? We can all agree with that. But if I was God, I would definitely use this time... I would be snarky here. I'm not going to lie. Like, if Cain was like, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And I'm like, I don't know, are you? Like, that's what I would do. I'm really going off the rails today. I'm sorry. You really shouldn't laugh. It encourages me. Look, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. The Lord said to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. I talked about this uh, in our Bible study. Uh, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. Um, But I talked about this passage because I find this passage absolutely fascinating. And I'll tell you all why. Here's here's why this, this passage is fascinating. It says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me. Blood is a very specific thing in Scripture. He doesn't say your brother's spirit is crying out to me. He doesn't say your brother's soul is crying out to me. It says your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Blood. In the book of Leviticus, we can read that life is in the blood, and so we know that blood in itself is what carries life to us, and without blood, we have no life. But even with that, this gives us another idea of what blood is about. I've got something very interesting here. Um, I'll jump a little bit here. Here we go. Uh, The word cry in Hebrew is this word. It's pronounced sa'uk. Sa'uk. Okay? This word doesn't just mean cry as in I hit my, my thumb with a hammer and I'm in pain and I'm going to cry. Tears. That's not what this word means. What this word means is a cry of injustice. This is the person who goes before a judge, stands before a judge and says, this person did this to me and I want justice. And so what we read here in the chapter, uh, chapter 4 of Genesis is that Abel's blood wants justice for his life being ended. Uh, this is the same word and the same noise that the Hebrews made under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
in, in the book of Exodus, before uh, Moses does his whole, you know, let my people go thing, uh, in, in Exodus, where it says that the cries of the Israelites or the cries of the Hebrews, uh, they cried out to God in their oppression. This is the same word. It is a cry of injustice. The Israelites were in captivity, in slavery, and they said, something is wrong. This isn't the way life is supposed to be. I want a ruling from the God of the universe. No one should tell you that as a Christian, you don't have the right to cry out to God when things go wrong. As a Christian, you have the entire weight of Scripture behind you saying it is okay to cry out to God and say, this is wrong, I want justice. And yet we do this stupid thing in Christianity where we try to be better than we are and we try to be stronger than we are and we try to handle it all alone and we don't let our brothers and sisters carry burdens for us and we don't tell them that they need to pray for us and we don't tell them what's wrong and we try to be these picture-perfect Christians and have our lives picture-perfect and it's completely separate from, the, the, from what we read in Scripture. Completely separate. People... Christians, those who are of God, should be able to cry out to the God of the universe. It's a cry of injustice. And here's what's really interesting about this entire thing. Sin will not go unpunished. Uh, I talked about this at length in the previous weeks. I'm going to talk about it at length today. Sin will not go unpunished. This is why calls to repentance are so important. Because sin that is masquerading in your life, that is in your life, that starts out small and escalates into worse, that's not going to go unpunished. If we flip back over to 1 John, where I'm supposed to be preaching out of today. Sorry about that. 1 John chapter 3. John says this, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Guess what? The world hates us. Now, I know that's all news to you, because you thought that the Christ Christianity had such a great reputation throughout the, the world today. I got a laugh from Carol, that's all I need. Look, you are not going to win a popularity contest by being a Christian. And if you do win a popularity question, uh, contest, uh, you're doing something wrong. Now, what I'm not saying is that you need to be hyper-aggressive and actually hit people with your Bible when, you, when you're telling them about Jesus. It's not what I'm saying. But Scripture tells us that the message of the gospel is actually going to set people at odds. That the message of the gospel is uh, not pleasant for, those, for, for people. That the message of the gospel is uh, contrary to what a lot of people believe. Uh, Jesus said, if you think people persecuted me for my message, wait till you see what they're going to do to you. He said, sell your cloak, buy a sword, you're going to need it to defend yourself. And in case you're wondering, uh, there's pretty much no one, none of the disciples, that didn't end badly for the disciples. Okay? There's, uh, there's only one disciple who wasn't martyred, and that was not for lack of trying. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded after being arrested in Rome. Uh, J 
James, the brother of Christ, was taken up to the pinnacle of the temple, thrown off the pinnacle of the temple, and when only his legs broke and he was lying wallowing in ground, the priest took a giant rock and hit him over the head with it. Uh, James, the other disciple, was executed by Herod. Uh, in the book of Acts, he was the first disciple, uh, named disciple to suffer martyrdom in Scripture. John, uh, who wrote these particular letters that we're going through, uh, was boiled alive, and when he didn't die, it freaked the Romans so, ma- so much that they put him on the island of Patmos to live out the rest of his life. Like, they boiled him alive, and he was like, nah, I'm good. And they're like, ah! So they put him on the island of Patmos, and were like, you know what, just stay here in this little island fortress so that we can just keep an eye on you, but you can't freak us out anymore. Like, this is what happened to the disciples. Uh, John Mark, who uh, wrote the book of Mark, uh, was one of the 72, not one of the 12. When they came to kill him, they tied him to the back of a chariot and raced his body through the streets of Alexandria for a day, And then when he didn't die uh, in prison overnight, they did it a second day. Like, that's how he died. Um, Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's going to end well for us, right? In this life. What it does say is that it's going to end well for us when we enter the next, if we're faithful. Okay? And so this this is the point. If you're trying to win a popularity contest as a Christian... It usually doesn't happen without, without diluting the message of the gospel. This is what I found. I found a lot of pastors that in order to try and make the, the gospel narrative more palatable to non-Christians, they water down the message to make it less offensive. But the problem is, is when you make it less offensive, it actually loses the guts of the gospel. Uh, it's like having a gun and taking out the gunpowder and, and thinking that it's going to be effective. Right? It's like having a computer and turning off the electricity and still thinking that you're going to be able to use it. Methodology, the way that we communicate the message can change. That's why I'm not sure if you've noticed that for the last three or four weeks I've been running around like a headless chicken trying to get our live streaming up and recording the sermons and doing all this sort of stuff because methodology changes. The way that people consume the message changes but the message itself has not changed for 2,000 years. And we'll get to that when we get to the end of our reading today. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And again, we see this redefinition of murder. We talked about it last week. Jesus redefined murder. He said, uh, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder, but I tell you the truth, anyone who says you fool uh, about another person is guilty of murder. Remember that from last week? That's the words of Jesus. And here we see John uh, doubling down on this definition of murder, saying everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Anyone who has hate in their heart is already a murderer. And so if you look at the Ten Commandments, if you look at the basic moral code of the Old Testament, one of them is thou shalt not commit murder. And he's saying if you hate anyone, and Jesus said if you've called anyone a fool, you've already broken that. Again, this is not a message of condemnation. This is a message that you can't be saved unless you are forgiven by Jesus. Because even if you think you are perfect and you've lived a perfect life, if we're being honest... Every single one of us at one point or another has looked at a person who has done something silly 
and been like, oh, you fool. Now, if you're like me, I use stronger language in my head. <laughs> I will flat out call them people idiots in my head. Like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you doing that? And if you, if you haven't had that thought, go to Costco on Saturday. You'll have that thought. <laughs> we get this redefinition of what murder is. If anyone has called someone a fool in their heart, if anyone hates someone else, you're a murderer. But here's the good news. Welcome to the club. We're all in it together. We'll get matching T-shirts. Jesus says I'm a murderer on the front, but then on the back, Jesus says I'm forgiven, which is the important part, and we're getting, we're getting to that important part here. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, uh, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Remember what I said. You're not supposed to be living life by yourself. You're not supposed to be living life solo. You're supposed to be looking to your left, looking to your right, looking at your brothers and sisters, and living life together. And so John here reiterates this by saying, uh, we know love that he has laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Verse 17, he continues and says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in needs, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This is not just some uh, pie-in-the-sky fancy philosophy that we're dealing with. He literally puts this into black and white physical terms. If you have the world's goods and you see someone in need yet you do not do anything, how does God's love abide in you? If you ignore the person on the street who is homeless because they're homeless and they're smelly and they're a bit weird in the head and you have the means to help them but you don't, how, are you, how is God's love abiding in you? How are you demonstrating that love? Again, I'm not saying this. He's saying this. Look, you can read it for yourself. Literally says world's goods and sees his brother in Egypt, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in the world or talk but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Very short summary of what we just read. God knows your heart. God knows everything, which also means the internal workings of your heart. And so as, as Christians, what we do, what, what we can be tempted to do is pre prevent this facade on the outside uh, where we do everything right. We know the songs to sing, when to raise the hand, when to say amen, when to laugh at the preacher's jokes, uh, how much money to put in the offering plate. None of you laughed. Why? We, we can present this facade. The problem with it is it's just that. It's fake. It's a veneer. Jesus said, talking of the Pharisees, that they were like whitewashed tombs, perfectly clean and respectable on the outside, but on the inside they were literally dead and rotting. And he was referring to their spiritual lives. 
John here is trying to get out a particular message, love, 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 but that love has to have legs. That love has to do something. That, that you, you can't just say, yeah, I love God and I love others, but then see your brother or sister in need and do nothing. Now, I'm very proud of our family here because when something happens, we do it. Like this past week, we've had two people pass away, um, extended, they, they weren't members of our family here, but they were extended through family members. Uh, and the amount of love and outpouring for those families when they've had their loved ones promoted to glory has been fantastic, and it's the way it's supposed to be. And so I know I can be very negative up here and like yell at you for about an hour or so on a Sunday morning making you feel like absolute crap, but I, I, I do want to encourage you that here as a family, we do do this, and we do this well. As William Booth said, this and better will do which is why I yell at you. I yell because I love. So let's reiterate this point. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the message, right? When I said that methodology changes, but the message doesn't, this is what we're talking about. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Yeah, I know. I know you want it to be much more complicated than that. Uh, but scripture, thankfully, boils it down to very, very simple terms. Believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what salvation is about. That's what Christianity boils down to. Now, when this happens, it then transforms the heart to do certain actions. And that's what he's been talking about before. But the actual act of salvation is quite simple. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. Christianity is simple. People try and make this more complicated than it needs to be. And here, look, I'll boil it down to you just like Jesus did. And this is how we end today. Christianity is simple. Love God and love others. That's it. It literally does not get any more complicated than that unless you make it more complicated than that. Love God, love others. You put God first in everything you do. That's what the scripture tells us about not having idols and not uh, engaging in idolatrous behavior and elevating anything to the status of God in your life, that you should love him more than anything else in your life. That's all that loving God means, that he's number one, that when you come up against something you can say man i love god and he's going to get me through this that you can rely on god i love my wife we, we we know this i talk about her all the time uh if you spend any time with us during the week you know that i'm very affectionate towards my wife that love um is displayed in multiple ways one of the ways that that love is displayed is when something comes up i say how is this going to affect her how am i going how is this going to impact her and i have her thoughts and her well-being in my mind and yet some of us, when we think about God, that's not our answer or response. We don't say, man, how am I going to love God today? How am I going to worship God today? How am I going to serve God today? He's not the first primary focus of our lives. And so scripture tells us it's very simple. We need to love God. And then that love of God transitions and flows into love of others. The person to your left, the person to your right. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Except for the people sitting on the ends, those are wolves. But 
love God, love others. Do you, do you think we can do that? Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us to come into your presence and to talk about your glorious name. I pray, Lord God, for every head that is bowed here, that you can be with us, Lord, to help us to do these two simple commandments, to love you above all else and then to love others. I pray, Lord God, that you give each one of us the opportunity to express that love to others in our lives, the people that you've put in our lives, the friends, the families. Lord, be with us, strengthen us, and keep us safe until we meet together again. We pray these things in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite Heidi up to sing our closing benediction. Have a good day.